who are vulnerable. You know, we look at we look at vulnerability as weakness in ourselves, but strength in someone else. And that's what you have to work through is is finding a way to to use that pain. That that's truly where it changed for me. It's like I'm going to take control of this, and I'm going to I'm just going to let God use it to help someone else. with mental illness. If you're listening to this podcast, chances are mental illness has affected your life in some way. But did you know that one in five Americans will experience mental health issues at some point in their lives? So whether it's you or a family member or loved one who has a hard time maintaining their mental health, know that you're not alone. Take heart and know that the struggle is real, y'all. At least for one in five Americans it is, which is why I've created the Love Makes You podcast. So that the people like you and me who struggle with their mental health pretty frequently on the daily, who may or may not find it hard to just be a human today, can connect and realize that we are not alone and that there are many resources available to us if only we would become more aware of them. So with that, I'd like to welcome you to the Love Makes You podcast. Aloha guys, welcome back to the Love Makes You podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am really excited to be sharing one of my first recorded interviews with you guys. It was a really wonderful conversation that I got to have with my new friend Sam Eaton. And before I get into too many details about our conversation, I just wanted to start off the episode by giving us a little space to just center and breathe because I know, at least for me, I often find it difficult to remember to just breathe sometimes and our breath is one of those things that can really help calm our nervous system, activate the parasympathetic nervous system, and lower our cortisol levels and help us to feel more centered in our minds and our bodies, especially for those of you prone to anxiety or anxious tendencies. Just learning to breathe and be present with our breath can be really helpful. So I would love to start this episode off by taking a few deep breaths. Go ahead and find a comfortable seat if you can. If you are busy doing something while listening to this podcast, of course, no need, but it's good to just be present. And once you've found a comfortable position, closing your eyes, becoming aware of your breath that's coming in and out of your nose, giving yourself this moment, this few moments to be silent. How often are we just silent, 
throughout our day, internally and externally, not so much. So give yourself this gift. And after you've completely exhaled, go ahead and take a nice deep breath in through your nose. Expanding the lungs and the belly. Taking it all in. And exhaling it all out. Go ahead and do that one more time. Inhale through the nose. Inflating the lungs, expanding the belly. And once you're full, maybe try and take a couple more sips in at the very top. See how much you can fill your lungs. And exhale it all out through the mouth. And just one more time, taking a nice deep breath in. And exhale it all out. All right, you can go ahead and open your eyes, move your body, and I hope you feel a little more grounded and centered after that practice. So, now we're going to tune in to this exciting and it was really fun recording uh, this episode with Sam. Sam is a suicide survivor, an Amazon best-selling author, an Instagram influencer with hundreds of thousands of followers and he is just constantly spreading the message of mental health awareness and sharing his own story hoping to help erase the stigma that we all are probably pretty familiar with that comes along with sharing about our intimate personal journeys. So we got into a lot of different things. Yeah, we talked about his suicide attempt, what led up to that, and different tools and helpful practices that he uses to help him when he's not feeling at his best. And I think a lot of people can relate We also got into different topics like men's mental health, social media, and the impact it has on our mental health, and even the role that having some sort of spiritual practice or faith or connection with something greater than ourselves can have on our mental health. And I really hope that this episode is helpful and inspiring to you guys to know that there is hope and there are ways to deal with different issues that we may have and there's definitely a lot of other people out there who struggle too so please remember that you're not alone and I really hope that you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. Enjoy guys. Okay well welcome to the Love Makes You podcast Um, and I am here with my new friend Sam Eaton. Sam is an Amazon bestselling author, a motivational speaker who travels the country giving talks about mental health and wellness. He is a social media influencer with over 100,000 followers on Instagram. He is 
also a suicide survivor and a man on a mission to make suicide a thing of the past. Sam, welcome to the Love Makes You podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. So great to be with you. Thank you. I was just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about yourself and um, what your mental health journey has been like, has looked like up until this point. Absolutely. Uh, I had a pretty tough childhood in a lot of respects. Uh, My dad was an alcoholic and as a result of that disease just caused a lot of pain in our lives. Uh, We struggled financially. I woke up to cars being repossessed. Uh, My parents fought quite a bit. Um, Home was just wasn't a place that I wanted to be um, very much. Uh, My dad left when I was 12. I actually haven't seen him since. Um, But even after he left, there was like a peace in my life. And there was, um, I I was doing great in middle school. I was on the basketball team. I had straight A's. It wasn't until high school. Like I turned 14, 15 and everything just fell apart. I had C's and D's. I pulled out of all the things that I had done, sports that I'd played. I'd just sit at home and play video games and hide. I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't focus. Um, What I didn't know is what I was experiencing has a name and it's called depression, but nobody had ever talked to me. Nobody ever stood up and said, hey, this is a possibility. Um, So I struggled with it off and on for a long time. And through high school, lots of passive suicidal thoughts, thinking like, I don't want to exist. I wish I wasn't here. The world would be better off without me. I hate my life that sort of ruminating thoughts over and over again. It wasn't really until college that I started having a little bit more active suicidal thoughts, Googling different things. um, And that just continued. Finally, at 23, um, my life just really hit rock bottom. I had insane amount of student loans. I just wasn't smart about college for my generation. Uh, An important relationship had ended. This girl I thought that I was going to marry, we had broken up. I was back living at home. I moved home to save money. I was in my first year of teaching, which I just hated my career at the time. It was so hard. It paid terrible money for what I was making. And then being back home, all these traumatic events, all these things that had happened that I'd buried were coming back up and just just being in that environment was super hard for me. So I actually picked a day. Um, I wrote goodbye letters. I picked Christmas Day. Um, Luckily, um, I made a, a choice to stay that day. And I wish I could say it's been perfect since. Um, but I've had to learn how to navigate my depression, even, even into my thirties. It's still something I deal with on a regular basis, but I've learned to be more open about my story and, um, just be able to help and encourage other people who might be experiencing some things that I have. That's amazing. Yeah. And I mean, just being so vulnerable and sharing in that, like a lot of people are really afraid to open up. There is such a stigma around it. So I just applaud your courage and being so open about it because it's, yeah, people need it. You know, if you think you're alone, it's so helpful to know that there's other people out there struggling about, like you are. It was about 2015, 2016, the school district I was teaching in, we actually lost five people to suicide in a little over a year. We had three students, a teacher and a principal who all took their own life. And at that point, I hadn't told anyone. Uh, I told one friend uh, and she had burst into tears and like didn't react very well. So I really had buried it. I didn't ever plan on telling anyone. But with each of these deaths in my community, I just was like, I have to do something. I don't know what. 
Um, I imagine that's kind of how you got started. You know, parts of your story I know have have lost. And, and I just was like, I don't know what to do. I just have to do something with this grief that I have about the people that we're losing. I quickly learned that talking about suicide doesn't make it any more likely that someone will attempt. It makes it much more likely they'll seek help. So lots of people are afraid to talk about it. They think if I talk about it, I'm giving them the idea. I'm I'm going to make it worse. And no, actually the opposite's true. So I was like, okay, I can do the hard work to, to heal myself and learn how to share this openly. It hasn't been easy. There's been lots of bad moments too, lots of moments I wanted to quit. Um, but if I can find the courage to share, maybe some more people will decide to stay. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just raising our voices, you know, one voice at a time speaking out about it. Cause that's, that's how it works with erasing the stigma. Um, I had a question about your title for um, your brand and your book, Recklessly Alive. What, uh, what made you decide to choose that name? So I spent six weeks serving and playing music in Zimbabwe, actually. So I attempted when I was 23. 18 months later, I was on a safari in Zimbabwe playing with a worship band um, and like truthfully, like sobbing, because I just remember being on this trip and being like, I truly believed there was never going to be another day worth living. And I was so wrong. Like I had this just incredible adventure. And while I was there, we were sitting around a campfire sharing some of our dreams for our life. And I was like, I've always wanted to write a book. And so when I got home, I just opened up Word. I don't know how to write a book. I've never written a book. I just was like, Word document. Okay, I'm writing a book. And I sat on my deck and I wrote for like three or four hours. I wrote the introduction. That chapter actually stayed in the book. It's about me skydiving and jumping off of an airplane. But that was the original introduction. And in that introduction, I wrote the words recklessly alive. And I was like, I've never seen that anywhere. I jumped over to Google. I like looked, I was like, nobody had named a book that I was shocked. And it just, I'm still learning what it means to be honest. It's like, I am a person who hid from the world for a long time. I didn't go after the things that I wanted. I hated myself. So my version of Recklessly Alive is just pushing myself to feel more alive, pushing myself to go after the things um, that I wanted. Following my suicide attempt, I started traveling the world. I ran a marathon. I wrote a book, started this organization, among other things. Um, I'm a very inside person. <laughs> like if I given the choice, I would just sit inside and feel sad all the time. So recklessly alive to me has become, how do I care for myself? That's a part of it I didn't know so that I can just have the best life and enjoy the life that I have. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Living life to the fullest. Like if we're here, if we're going to be here, if we're going to make this into something, why not make it the best thing we can, you know? And it's so easy to just get stuck in the day-to-day -day work, scroll social media, and like and just time goes by and we forget to live and make the choices, you know, that are going to make us feel alive. And it's not easy. It's, I mean, it's a daily decision to try and live our lives and, and help other people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's a consistent decision and practice for sure. Um. I wanted to ask you um, a, in more detail, I guess, about what led up to you deciding to take your own life, because I know with depression, there's oftentimes this voice in our head that lies to us and won't shut up. And the amount of pain that can cause a person. Um, yeah, I, I, I personally have never had depression to that degree. 
Um, and I've never been suicidal. So I'm just, yeah, curious what, what that was like for you. I spent seven years writing my book because it is just so hard to talk about and to put the right words to it. I think a lot of suicide prevention and a lot of talk about mental health is very like just almost toxically positive. And it's hard to explain how warped your brain gets uh, when you're feeling suicidal. It's like um, the best thing that I can compare it to is actually like someone who's battling anorexia and eating disorder where they stop eating. And, and you hear these stories of people will be in treatment and they'll, their body will be wasting away. They'll literally be dying and they'll look in the mirror and say, I am fat. Their brain is warped and it's distorted and it's sick. Their brain is sick. They're not seeing the world as it really is. They're not experiencing the love and of their family and their friends. They're not seeing the hope. Um, part of depression for me is, 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 yes, it's deep sadness, but it's also just feeling numb. It's feeling nothing at all. And that sometimes is worse than anything else. Like that not, you don't feel pleasure from the things that you enjoy and you just, you just want it to be over. And, you know, suicide at its most basic level is when your pain is higher than your ability to cope. And at 23, I just, I had never been to therapy to deal with the trauma and the struggles that I have, especially as a man opening up like that is just such weakness. And truthfully, like the bullying between men is so aggressive, at least it was for me, um, you know, man up that whole, whole narrative. So um, in the month leading up to my suicide attempt, yes, absolutely. The voices were just so aggressive and I just believed them. You know, I didn't understand that your brain can lie to you, that your brain can get sick, just some of these basic ideas um, and it wasn't like every moment of every day I was, I'm going to do this, but it was just this overarching feeling of if this is what the next 50 years is going to be like, if I'm going to be in this much pain and hate myself this much, I, I need, I need a way out. I need some other way. I, and truthfully, I didn't want to die. And I think that's a, having traveled around the country and talked to a lot of suicidal people. Most people don't actually want to die. They just don't know what else to do. And, and that's what I needed. I needed help and I needed the tools and I needed, I needed professionals to help me figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we all, most of us aren't really aware of the tools that are available to us, especially I think of our generation, like mental health is just becoming something that people are talking about now. So there are a lot more tools available to us than we realize, but for a lot of people, it can seem like the only way out. What do you, what do you think it is that causes our brain to get sick mm -hmm. in that way? So the, the research shows we don't actually know for sure. We know it's some combination of it might be genetics. It might just be that some of it runs in your family, you know, exposure to violence, poverty, um, traumatic events increases your likelihood, but again, we don't know for sure. Um, any having a pessimistic outlook on life or, or just feeling like you don't have a purpose, a, a pessimism, people who, who that's their personality are more likely to struggle with, um, depression. I think more and more, I think loneliness is a big part of depression is feeling like nobody truly sees us or hears us. I mean, especially as we talk about cell phones and dis disconnection, we kind of have become a world of where we lack serious connection. We lack people who are asking you, how are you really doing? 
And truthfully, I think a lot of people who struggle with mental health will share that they feel abandoned when they are honest about their struggles. You know, we have this good vibes only kind of thing going on in our world. Like, I only want to be around you if you've got good vibes. And so it almost creates this spiral and like this, this, so then you isolate and then it just pretty soon all that you hear are these, these voices in your head. So it's different for every person. About one in five people will battle depression at some point in their life. Um, it's very common. Um, there's mild cases of depression where you might not even know you're experiencing it. Um, postpartum depression, of course, after a woman has a baby is very common, all the way up to severe depression. Depression is the number one cause of disability in the U.S., where severe depression, you're not even really functioning. You you, you probably aren't going to work. Um, and I kind of have run, run the gamut of it and some people can get through it just fine. You know, maybe you lose someone, you get a little bit, you might not even need help. And then some people just need a little bit of help. And then there's people like me who have persistent depression and, and it's something I battle my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. It looks different for so many people, which is what makes it hard to like figure out what to do, you know, or Absolutely. Even- yeah, we have this picture of like just crying by yourself in the dark in the shower. And yeah, it's that sometimes. But like, if you think even just like, you know, some of the happiest people in the world have died from suicide, from depression, from mental health. Um, there isn't a type, you know, it is, it affects all people, all races, all sexes, um, people of all walks of life. And um, it's just something we need to be aware of and, and, and talk about and get, get people some help. Yeah, definitely. Um, that that ties pretty well into a question I was going to ask you about the increasing suicide rate. Like, it's definitely been going up over the past decade. Um, and I mean, I guess I was looking at the statistics, and it did go down a little bit, like 2018, 2019. But yep. then, obviously, once COVID hit, it just skyrocketed because of the isolation um, yep. that you were talking about. And yeah, I'm just curious, what are some other factors you think? um are at play like over the past decade or so with that increasing rate yeah it's funny i mean i'm i've been to mental health conferences all over the us and i always ask this question cuz like i i don't have a degree in mental health my degrees are in education but i do tons of research on mental health and nobody has the answer like no one has any idea um, people, I mentioned already, social media is kind of the hot button thing that people say that's pretty easy to look at, especially if you look at the teenage depression rates, like 10, 2011, 2012, when it really became smartphones in everybody's hands, the, the rates of teenage depression and suicide has, has skyrocketed. Um, so while there isn't a lot of research proving that, it's hard to ignore that that at least has to be part of it. And I think, um, you know, you go back a generation and even if you had a hard time at school and you were bullied at three o'clock, you got to go home and you were free. You know, you didn't, you had a whole night with your family and in time away. And now it's 24 seven. We've got this thing in our hand where anyone can say anything, anyone can attack you. I think that's part of it. I think, um, access to mental health care, you know, I think for just a long time, we just buried it. We covered it with addictions, alcohol, and and other substances. We just numbed it. Um, and I think more and more as, as we recognize it, and it, it's, it's, these rates are being tabulated. I think that's just a guess, but I think if you, 
Um, I think it's always been there. Um, I think we're a little bit better at tracking it now. And um, man, I don't, I wish I knew so I could, I could help more. Yeah, no, yeah, it, it's a, it's a strange beast, depression and mental health, trying to understand it uh, completely. I mean, I definitely think social media plays a role. For sure. I feel very grateful that I was one of those kids, which I think you're probably of that generation too, where yes. we didn't have smartphones really until, yeah, I feel so grateful that I didn't have social media back then. Otherwise I, I can't imagine it was tough enough having good self-esteem at that age. So get, like Absolutely. having a phone in your hand, looking at comparing yourself to other people all the time, hundred can't be good. And just knowing that it's like, it's healthy to have a night at home with your parents. Like that is a healthy and normal thing. But when you've got this thing that's showing you everybody else's great lives, it's hard as an adult, it's hard as 34 to not look at that thing and be like, nope, that I don't need that. But it's true. I, I just think it's added stress and pressure. That's the other piece. I think we really have just continued to pile on the pressure of our young people to know what to do to figure life out. And the life's, the world is different and harder, you know, everything's more expensive. The job rates are much harder. You know, you can't, there isn't a guarantee that you're going to go to college and, and that life's going to be fine. Life's just harder than it was a generation ago. And I think, and add to that, all the traumatic events we've lived through all the school shootings, the terrorist attacks, and we have this news cycle that 24-7 is showing us the worst things all around the world. I just don't think our bodies and our brains were designed to handle this much bad news, this much comparison on social media, um, and then just, yeah, all this input with without a body and a brain that really has evolved to handle all of that pressure and all of that sadness. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you um, hit the nail on the head. I think life is just getting more and more complicated and we still have these brains that you know came from hunter gatherers and right. agricultural people who would grow their own food and hang out in nature and live life so simply and just so quickly things got have gotten really complicated and so that makes a lot of sense i i guess that is a good segue into social media and your your um opinions your view on the the effect social media has on our mental health. What do you think? I, I think that there are positive aspects of it. I think, um, I think there are people like me who are trying to put out positive messages. I think if you curate your feeds well and follow people who are positive influences and share educational things, I think it can be a great tool. I think it's become a crutch, truthfully. I think, I think we, we're all built for connection. You know, we all have this herd mentality where we want a crew and we want people who love us and know us deeply. And I think social media really messed that up. I mean, I grew up in the Facebook generation where it's like, okay, you have 2000 people who, you know, and you like follow in life. And, and again, I just don't think we were meant to stay connected to every human being we've ever met. I don't think we were meant to see people who's, who've had lots of surgeries on their body and have made their body look in a way that's, that's not supernatural. Um, I think it's faux connection and I think it's a really easy coping mechanism. I mean, that's truthfully, it's like, I will just be like, scroll, you know, like I'll get into the doom scrolling mode and it just, it makes everything worse. It makes nothing better. 
but it's addict it's addicting you know i i think i heard someone the other day say they think in 10 years people will be going to rehab for their phone or for social media um i hadn't heard that before but i'm like i can see it i can see that that's kind of the way that our world has gone and the way that some of these algorithms are designed and um i just think it's something we all need to be aware of and how it affects us yeah definitely I mean, do you take breaks consistently or like, how do you manage it? Cause you're an influencer. You, you're on there all the time, you know? I mean, my life's kind of just hilarious sometimes. Like I just have to laugh at myself. So before I started Recklessly Live, I had zero social media for like two or three years. I actually went back to a flip phone for a couple of years. I didn't even have a Facebook. People wouldn't forget to invite me to things because I didn't even, I deactivated my Facebook. And truthfully, I was very happy um, now that my work heavily involves social media, I have to be really careful. Um, and it goes like anyone else though. It's like, I'm not, I'm, I struggle, you know, at different times I've put time limits on before. That's probably one of the best things that I have done is I'll just put an hour limit, but then, you know, half the time I'm like, eh, I feel like scrolling. I don't want to <laughs> be a lot, you know, it's like, mm, well, I'm not feeling good. So it's something that I struggle with too. I don't have all the perfect answers. Um, but I, I love social media in the way that I get to connect with people all over the world. I, I never thought that I never thought that 132,000 people would want to follow me. You know, even when I started social media, people in my life made fun of it, like pretty openly, like people at my gym, people at my church, um, they just taunted me and they, they thought they were being funny. I guess it, it hurt. I had a blog for a while. I think anytime you're trying to do something creative and put yourself out there, there's, there's just people for some reason that are going to push back. Um, I'm so glad I didn't quit, but I, I was driven. I think the reason it's been successful is because I, I'm just driven to help someone. I don't care. Like, I don't care. I mean, there's been many times since I think about it, just delete it and call it good, move out to the country. <laughs> but um, I, I, there's good and bad about social media. It's, it's all about knowing yourself and and being aware of what it does to you and your own mental health. Yeah. I think, I think awareness is key for sure. Understanding the effect it has on you. Um, Do you find that? I mean, what has your journey with social media been? Um, To be honest, it's challenging for me to be consistent with social media. Like I know it's an amazing tool, obviously, like I was able to connect with you through mm-hmm. Instagram, which I'm so grateful for. Um, but I don't, it, it's challenging for me to actually enjoy getting on there and posting things and being active. Yeah. It just seems, I don't know, it doesn't seem real. Like I would prefer more face-to-face kind of interactions. This is one of the few like friendship relationships I've even created mm-hmm. via social media. So I don't, you know, interact on there a whole lot. Mm-hmm. I understand. I mean, I agree. And that's, it's gotten more, it's, it's gotten better that I get to meet people like you. And it's the best feeling when I do, because how else do you meet people who are passionate about these things? Um, but I agree with you. It also is just a huge time suck. It just takes up so much time and is it worth it? Yeah. It can be really motivational too, though. Like similarly, I try to follow, you know, accounts that I find inspiring and that can help me get through the day or different things but I was also going to ask you about uh, men's mental health because Mm. 
Um, that is a subject that I'm super passionate about. Um, I know that men complete suicide more often than women. Um, and as a woman, I just know that it's more natural, I think, for us to come together and talk about our emotions and the different things that we go through. But for men, I just, my heart really goes out to you guys because there is such a um, stigma around it. And like men, you know, saying man up and you know, if you have emotions, you're weak and the only feelings you can feel are anger. And like, there's just so much, I think, stacked against men when it comes to being vulnerable and expressing our, their emotions and um, trying to seek help and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, what what do you think some of the challenges are for a man trying to get their mental health under control and what are some things you suggest for them? Yeah. It, so men are three, about three times more likely to complete. Women are actually more likely to attempt. So, I mean, it definitely affects men and women very equally. Um, men are more likely to use violent means, but as someone, I mean, not a day goes by that I don't get at least one to five hateful comments on my social media by almost always, it's always a man always attacking me, simp, man up, suck it up, boohoo. You're like, just, I mean, to, to like things like you should have just done it. I mean, when I post about my attempt every time, I mean, you can go like, there'll be a hundred comments that'll say, clearly you're not good at anything because you couldn't even do that, which is actually what the voices in my head were saying to me, like, while I was making that decision. Uh, and so, you know, one of the quotes, there's a quote by Gary V that says, he said, like, if you, if the voice in your head says that you suck, I desperately need you to know that someone put that voice there. And unfortunately for me, it was mostly men, mostly guys either growing up or guys that I'm teachers that, that put those voices in my head. Men are, are cruel to each other. They're just cruel. Um, and there, there aren't a lot of safe spaces where you can be a hundred percent honest or bad. I think it's changing. It's just starting to change. I really, especially since COVID, I've seen just kind of an awakening to where people are starting to talk about it. There are more men's organizations for mental health. Um, there's more, there just seems to be like a willingness to talk about it. We have a lot of work to do on resources. Men are significantly less likely to go to therapy or to open up and talk about it. Um, to the men that are listening to this, uh, first, I, I just wish everyone would understand that, that sometimes like being a man is about courage. It's about doing what's right. And if, if you need help, asking for help is the most manly thing that you could do in any situation. Like the, the courage it takes to open up, to say, I'm struggling to say, I don't understand why my brain is doing what it's doing to open up is, I mean, that in eating, sharing about my attempt is, is the scariest thing that I ever had to do. Um, I guess I didn't have to, I chose to, but it it is hard and it does it still affects me. I mean, anyone who Googles me, the first thing that comes up is my battles with suicide. And also, not everyone's that way, right? If you're surrounded by men who are like that, who won't allow you to be yourself, you need to take that courageous step to surround yourself with some better people and, and some people who are at the very least willing to 
let you be yourself and let you struggle and let you be open about who you are. Cause that's what real friendship and real relationships are about. And as men, we don't always have the tools for that, but it's so important that we just take those little steps, ask for help when we need it and, and not see it as weakness um, or an attack on our mis- masculinity. It, it's just, it's an illness like having the flu and it's okay to talk about. Yeah. Thanks for, for saying that and sharing that. It's, I, I mean, yeah, as a woman, I, I can't relate completely, but I mean, I've seen a lot of that, like men putting other, putting each other down. And, um, I, it reminds me actually of, um, that quote or not a quote, I guess we were talking about the man in the arena from doing greatly. Um, and I've just, you know, been imagining myself as the man in the arena, the woman in the arena, and you're the man in the arena. And if they're not in the arena, people will like to point fingers and blame and put you down. But I think it's oftentimes just because they aren't, don't have the courage to put themselves into the arena too. And so it's also something that we can't really take personally, or it's good to learn to not take personally. Absolutely. We have to learn to have a bit of that thick skin and just a greater perspective. Like but I mean, one of the things that got a couple of quotes immediately come to mind, Brene Brown said, stop trying to win over the haters. You are not the jackass whisperer. I'm like, I love that <laughs> quote because like, you don't like some of these people are just jerks. You don't need to win them over. And why do you care? Right. It's like the same with man in the arena. It's like, it is more important that you're living a courageous life, that you're trying to help other people, that you're trying to do something to make the world a better place. And for whatever reason, just like when I started my social media, people just suck sometimes. I hope that's not the world we live in eventually. Um, but finding ways to brush that off, it's not easy. It takes practice, truthfully. But brush that off and be like, no, you know what? I know who I am. That person doesn't know me. I wouldn't trade spots with them in a second. Why would I listen to anything that they have to say? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Who is this person in your life and why does their opinion have any importance at all, you know? Um, but yeah, it, it does take a lot to to move through it and get past it and let it go. Definitely. Um, I wanted to ask you also about your spiritual journey, because I know that your, um, the title of your book is recklessly alive. What my suicide attempt taught me about God and living life to its fullest. Um, and you quoted a lot of Bible verses in there and I grew up very Christian. Actually, I went to a Christian college. I've read the Bible multiple times all the way through. Um, so I really enjoyed the Bible verses that you referenced in there and have found God like a, a Christian kind of God, a father-like kind of God to be um, of a lot of support and encouragement and peace for me. Um, but I know that that's not the case for a lot of people. Not everybody's going to see God that way. Um I guess my first question is like, what is your relationship with God like? And how did that help you overcome, you know, your suicidal thoughts and things? Thank you for asking that. Um, I enjoy talking about this because it's complicated. Like it just is complicated. My, I grew up in the church. I grew up in an Episcopal church. I was 29 before I heard anyone in a church say the words depression or suicide. And it was because they were introducing me to speak at their church. Before that, it was never talked about. 
And especially in church communities, I found that mental health is often disregarded as a lack of faith. Like when you tell someone that you're really struggling, it's often met with pray more, read the Bible more. It's more spiritual type activities. And I I fully believed in God when I was planning to take my own life. Like it wasn't because I was a bad believer. It's because I was sick. And so that simple distortion has been, is a really important thing that I, I work really hard to, ch- to change people's minds about. Um, a lot of people have been hurt by faith. You know, it's like a lot of people have just been hurt by the church. They've been taught wrong things. I still don't know some days what I believe. And my book asks a lot of questions. One of my favorite reviews is from an atheist. Actually, she's like, everyone should read this book. It's, it's not a preachy book, but what I've always gravitated towards in the Bible is that Jesus was a man who loved people, the end. Like his whole life was about, I'm going to care for people who have it worse for me. I'm going to support people who the rest of the world is throwing stones at and basically like attacking. I'm going to stand up to political and religious elites who are just awful human beings who treat people like crap. And I'm just going to try to live a good life, like helping people and loving people. And so when I focus on that part, when I let go of the fighting about denominations, truthfully, even most of the the yelling that happens about churches, I mean, we have like 350 denominations in the U.S. Like it blows my mind. Why? Because we can't get along on a, a social issue. So then you can't sit next to someone in a church who doesn't believe it, it truly blows my mind. And I've, I've had a rough go of church too. I had a really bad experience in, in my twenties of actually basically getting asked to leave a church. Cause I wrote an article saying we should serve the poor more. I, it's been a long road, um, for me and my faith journey. Um, and at the core of it, the Bible was really helpful in my journey back from my suicide attempt. Cause it gave me some answers to some things um, that were a big part of that, you know, why am I here? You know, the Bible says I was made on purpose for a purpose, you know, that God knew me before I was in the womb. I mean, one of the things is I believed I was an accident. I shouldn't have existed. And and God said, Hey, no, actually I always planned that you would be here. And I've always had great plans for your life. And I think there are other avenues for that. You know, I think you, you can find, I'm not saying this is the only way and everyone else is the worst. And, um, but I I wish more people would give it a chance. And I wish more people would look through the fighting and look past the fighting and just look at who Jesus was. There's more evidence that he lived than anyone else in that time, that he was a real person. Um, and I, and model your life after love and helping people. And and that, that's the core of me feeling recklessly alive. When I changed my life from focusing about me and, whoa, my life is sad and, you know, I'm not who I want to be and I don't have the things I want to be. And I changed it to, I'm just going to try to enjoy my life and help some people and, and love people along the way and build good relationships. It severely improved my mental health along with other treatments, but um, I think that God and faith has a lot to offer people um, if if they give it a chance. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I love to, I mean, 
I also love Jesus for a lot of those reasons. And um, it's interesting, too, that you say, you know, when we start focusing on other people and helping other people, um, we're less focused on ourselves and our own internal dialogue and whatever's going on in there. I know in AA also, that's one of the things that they preach is helping your fellow man and like helping somebody else when you are struggling with your own addiction. So I think that's and it, it's always helped me too. whenever I've been low or been stuck in negative thought loops. I think, what can I do for somebody else? How can I help somebody else in this moment? And yeah, yeah, it's definitely helpful. And so much of what the Bible teaches is backed by science for your mental health. Like research shows if you write three things you're grateful for every single day, it has a drastic improvement on your mental health because your brain's looking for confirmation of what you tell it. So if you if you set your brain to look for things that you're thankful for, um, it, it improves your mental health. Volunteering, they've done lots of research about volunteering and, and, and positive impacts for your mental health. Community, like a lot of that's what a church is. It's people, it's a group of people. Um, so a lot of what that book pushes us towards, you know, it's suggestions. Here's how to live a better life actually is supported by research and, and can improve your mental health. There's aspects of it too that might not improve your mental health, <laughs> but um, there's a lot of it that that really can help. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I found the Bible to be really, yeah, comforting over the years. I'm curious though, because I don't think faith is easy for every person because I've always, like I grew up in the church. I don't consider myself a Christian today, but I have a very deep connection with God and I pray regularly and like me and God, we're just, you know, we're homies. Um, And I've always had that as like uh, my foundation. You know, I could always turn to God no matter what, but I've definitely been had a lot of friends and connections where people just can't relate on that level they don't know who god is or how to pray or how to like turn to god in whatever way that looks because it doesn't look the same for every person either um so yeah what what would you say for people who struggle more to to know to have faith or to know who god is so i when i teach about depression i teach that you're really battling a war on three fronts. There's a physical, there's what's happening in your actual body, like brain chemistry, genetics, all of that. There's a mental side, like trauma and, you know, the way you talk to yourself, your relationships and your boundaries, all of that applies to mental health. There is a spiritual element to mental health, answering those big life questions. Why are we here? Why do I exist? What is the point of life? And I I just wish to anyone listening to this that you find an openness to explore some of those questions. Uh, A lot of people find a lot of different answers, um, but I just think it's a really important thing for you to be willing to sit and journal and explore different faiths, explore different communities and be open to some, just some different ways of thinking. Cause I, I also agree. I, I, it's not that I don't consider myself a Christian. I just have not found myself at church. Just church has not been where I connect with something greater than myself. Like I experienced God at a bonfire on a beach 
out in, you know, out in the mountains, that helping people serving in third world countries and, and homeless camp, that is where I feel God. That's where I feel like there's something bigger in this world than me. So, so people, if you think that like those, I think you and I are both proof that you can be open and ask those questions and explore some of that, even if the church isn't for you, even if what some of those screaming, loud, angry, hateful Christians share isn't your brand. I think that's, that's not who God has been to me. And um, I, I hope our world can move back towards just an openness and a curiosity about um, s- some of those spiritual questions. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I, I think too, it, like at a certain point, what do you have to lose also? You know, like a lot of people don't want to turn to God or don't want to even have, be open or give faith of some sort a chance. But like, why not try? Why not try to connect with something bigger than yourself and, and just see yes. what happens? And I think we're designed for that. You know, you look at like what happened in the NFL this this year when um, that player went down and, and almost died. Everyone got down on the field and started praying. I mean, it was like when I, I think when life goes wrong, we all we have this instinct to pray and ask the universe for help. Um, so I, I think that that is a connection and a calling that we all experience when we need help. Um and also like that comfort can come on a day to day. You don't have to wait till life's scariest moments to ask for comfort from something outside of yourself. Yeah, definitely. I was also going to um, ask you about a quote that I um, picked out of your book when I was reading it. Um, and I find this to be like a very like pivotal, it, it, it's a cornerstone of um, taking one's life back and having good mental health. Um, You said, on my long healing journey, I learned if you want to be recklessly alive, you have to freaking own your story. Mm. Um, I loved that quote um, because I think a lot of what causes us to go into these very negative places is comparing ourselves to the rest of the world and wishing that, you know, our story looked different, the past looked different, because we, we all come from trauma of some sort. I mean, just being a human, we've gone through the ups and downs and hasn't always been easy. Um, so I'm curious if you want to elaborate on that um, a little bit more, um, what it means to own your story and how that's affected your mental health and what you mean by like, yeah, we're, I feel like you're asking us to own our whole story, which can be hard, but necessary. I mean, so it it took me a lot of work to, to be able to, of therapy and other just processing, writing my story, to stop beating myself up for the past. I, I could not control a lot of what happened in my childhood. I can't control the, the abuse and the sexual abuse that I had. And the world tells us to hide all of that. We tell us it, it really, it screams at us. Like, I mean, I had, um, I, I was in my early twenties going on a date and this girl said, Oh, I always wanted to date someone with an intact family. Okay, fine. And then she goes, and like, I, you just have too much baggage. And I was like, 
cool, right? And so like it's <laughs> cool. it's it's moments like that where like people don't mean to, but they shame you. I, I just remember I was so hurt because I was like, I I can't control any of that. I have no control over what has happened to me. So you're saying that I, I'm too broken, I'm too damaged to hang out with you. Um, and what a sad what a sad life that is because what happens is then everyone just hides anything bad thing that's ever happened to them they don't tell anyone they just shove it down they don't deal with it and then we wonder why we have these big issues you know i'm thankful i lost i lost a lot of friends when i started being open about my suicide attempt there were a lot of people who couldn't wow. handle it um and my life is so much better because I finally said, you know what? I am not letting anyone else cause me an ounce of shame for something that I cannot control the end, right? Like you said, we all have things. No one makes it through this life unscathed. And actually we, we look up to people who are vulnerable. You know, we look at, we look at vulnerability as weakness in ourselves, but strength in someone else. And that's what you have to work through is, is finding a way to, to use that pain that that's truly where it changed for me. It's like, I'm going to take control of this and I'm going to, I'm just going to let God use it to help someone else, you know, and it's scary. And yeah, you might meet people like that girl that I met. Who's like, Oh, that's too much for me. Um, and that's fine. It's fine because the people who are willing to share uh, vulnerability is contagious. And, and when you find those people, you, you start to find the, these connections and you start to find real relationships and real people who are willing to just be who they are, accept themselves as they are and accept other people as they are. It's hard work. It doesn't happen overnight. Some tangible steps for me were talk therapy really helped. Um, I wrote my book, just there's a lot of research that writing your story, if you've been through traumatic things, kind of lets you own it and lets you name what you experienced. Um, and then I think just finding little ways to use your pain to help someone else. You know, I mentored two middle school boys for about five years and it was hard because I didn't have a dad growing up, but it, it healed something in me too. And I think just, just kind of like you do using your life story, trying to pay it forward, trying to make a difference for someone else. Um, it truly, it, it can be such, it can be so life-changing for you and the people that you help. Totally. Well, and I think too, it helps us come into a level of self-acceptance also, you know, that I like, we need to get to that point in order to start to love ourselves in order to, you know, mm -hmm. have a healthier life and mental state. We can't continue to live our lives wanting to be something else or something different or you know like that owning your story is also just like accepting you as you are which is really amazing if you give that person a chance you know yes. I think we spend a lot of our time like wishing we weren't what we are but and wanting something different but once you can kind of come to terms with that who you are and the ben and the reasons you're here you can you really help the world. 100% right. I mean, Jim Carrey, the famous actor said, I wish everyone could have all of their dreams come true, become rich and famous so that they could all see that that's not the answer, right? It's like, we think, oh, if I only looked that way, if I only had that money, if I only had that job, I would finally be happy. And the truth is, it's, it's, not, it's not true. <laughs> no. It might make your life a little bit easier. Um, I mean, I had $90,000 of student loan debt because I just was stupid and I paid it off. And I worked really hard. I flipped a house. I, I worked really hard. I worked multiple jobs 
And I paid it off and thought, wow, this has been such a source of pain for me. I'm going to be instantly healed. Life's going to be better. And that just hasn't been the case. That's not how the world works. And it's easy to believe those lies. Um, but you're exactly right. Just finding ways to, it sounds cheesy, but just love and care for ourselves, the good and the bad, and just showing up as who we really are. Yeah. I, th- I think, was it Jim Carrey who also said something about needing d- depression or being depressed is needing deep rest from the character you've been trying to play? Maybe that's not like a verbatim quote, but I've heard that. And I think yes. it's so true. You know, we're, we're trying to be yes. something we're not. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, authenticity, right? It all comes back to just being who you are, being open, not trying to hide the crappy things that you've been through um, and just trying to be alive, right? Trying to enjoy your life while you're here and not every day is easy, um, but just leaning into those good moments, leaning into joy, leaning into helping others. Uh, for me, that's what life's about. You know, it's, I love the title of your organization because love, it all comes back to love. Love makes like love makes us. That's, that's what makes life worth living. And I think one of the reasons depression rates are so high is because it's easy to forget that. It's easy to forget that we're here to love people and we're here to help others with the time that we have. Yeah, definitely. And I think the way the world is right now, just with our culture and social media, it's not really helpful in, in helping us figure out what our priorities need to be to be healthy in our own brains, in our own minds. Um, I'm curious then what um, the terms self-love and self-care they're thrown around a lot in the mental health world Mm. um but they definitely mean something um what do they mean to you the self-love piece is a lot of what we just talked about being willing to accept yourself for who you are um and finding ways to not be your own worst enemy i for so long just beat myself up constantly i mean if you listen to what i said to myself Oof, it's it's awful. And I, I have to actively work against that. I still slip into those old patterns. Um, but finding ways to, what it, what will it take for you to show up to the world as your best self and, and loving yourself in that way, allowing yourself to make mistakes, allowing yourself to risk, allowing yourself to dream. It is vulnerable to say, I want to write a book and then try and then have seven years of rejections and not knowing who's going to read it, if it will, anyone will care, but that's, that is self-love, you know, trying to be and go after the things that you want is how we, it's one of the ways that we love ourselves. Self-care is really distorted. Actually. Um, I have a couple of videos about this on my Instagram, but, um, most of, most people picture self-care as just like a bubble bath and like sitting on the couch, which it can absolutely be that if you need more rest, but there are actually six types of self-care. Mostly it's just, what is you, what do you, it's asking this question, what do I need to feel like my best self today? Sometimes that is, I have been procrastinating on paying this bill for two months. It's overdue. Sometimes it's very tangible things. It's laundry. It's taking care of yourself. It's, it's hygiene and grooming. Like that's all the way that we care for ourselves. And if you're super stressed out, yes, use the relaxation side of it. Use do things that bring you joy, you know, express yourself creatively. It's, it's it's making space in your life to, to really listen to your body and to respond. You know, it's like, if you haven't exercised in a long time, exercise is self-care, you know, making a nutritious meal is self-care, 
making time for people you love. If you have a video game that you really want to play, that can be self-care too. You know, it's, it's figuring out for yourself and answering these questions for yourself. What do I need to love myself, to love myself and show up as my best self in the world? And they're, they're very related, the self-care and the self-love. Do you think self-care is always easy? (laughs) Gosh, no, no, no. You have to, you have to be intentional, right? You have to make a choice. Life's going to be busy. People are going to pull you in a million directions. Uh, You have to be brave enough to say, no, thanks. I need some time for myself. And that's not always possible. You know, seasons of my life, I was working two and three jobs and I was in grad school and it's not always possible to to have lots of time, but it doesn't mean you can't, you know, you can do it in little ways, 15 minutes a day, 10 minutes a year. Um, and just designing a life where you can, you can care for yourself and that, that you matter, right? It's like what I need, my needs matter. My wants for life matter. Um, that's the core of it. Cause a lot of us just forget. We just ignore ourselves at the expense of everyone else. Hmm. Yeah. I think we forget that sometimes too, if we're constantly running on empty and not caring for ourselves, we don't realize that we're actually doing the world around us a disservice because they're not getting the best version of ourselves. They're getting the grumpy, haven't, haven't, you know, taken the time when needs to take care of themselves version of ourselves. Um, I'm curious what uh, the role, what role discipline has played in your self-care practice, because I mean, discipline is challenging for every single person, but I I believe that it's a necessary part of caring for ourselves, like making ourselves eat nutritious food, go for walks, exercise, um, you know, go to bed early and get enough sleep. And I think especially for people who are depressed or struggle, you know, to feel good in their brains, like it's going to be hard to even just get out of bed sometimes, you know, so um do you have any advice or encouragement for people when it comes to discipline and self-care? Absolutely. The word discipline sounds scary to me, um, Mm -hmm. but it's just, you know, mental health is this never ending balance between showing yourself compassion, being kind to yourself, allowing yourself to rest and forcing yourself to do the things that maybe you don't feel like doing. And it is this constant balance and dance. And it's something I deal with every single day. I still have really low seasons where all I want to do is lay in bed and I would just want to sleep for like three months. Um, And also I know that exercise is probably my number one tool for feeling better. If I get up in the morning and go for a walk, I always feel better, maybe a little bit, maybe significantly better, but I know that about myself. And so when I am in that habit, uh, even when I don't feel like it, I have to shut my brain off and force myself, just go. Even if you just go for 20 minutes, just do something. So it absolutely is a balance and something that we all have to work on. And, and it takes vulnerability to be honest with yourself it, to say, you know what? I don't feel like it, but I need to do something. So for me, what that looks like practically is I say to myself, every single day, I have to do one thing that makes my life better or makes the world a better place, the end. And following my suicide attempt, this is actually what I did. I did this for five months. It's in the book. I talk about it. But that those were my parameters. And it, sometimes it's just organize a closet. It's one load of laundry. It's one text message to a friend I haven't seen in a while. 
but that's how you get momentum and that's how you get start moving towards the things that you like is just just one thing every day and then you can add to it pretty soon when exercise is a habit you can add one more and then you don't feel stuck and and it pushes you to to go after those things and, and enjoy life a little bit more um definitely balanced though yeah yeah a, a balance of grace and being consistent and making yourself do the things do the hard things um i also wanted to ask you then i guess um so you said exercise is a big one for you and uh you talked about therapy um yeah. what are so what are some of the top um tools or practices that you use that help you um, maintain good mental health exercise is a big part of it um some seasons journaling has been really helpful some seasons not i think that it just depends for you know different people in different times um recklessly alive having every day a chance to post about what I'm learning has been really powerful for me. It's a way I'm constantly throwing myself. I'm reading articles. I'm like forcing myself to learn more about mental health for other people, but for myself too. And that kind of daily practice also really helps. Um, I've done talk therapy. I've tried medication. I've had a really rough go of seven or eight different kinds of medication, never really finding um, the one for me talk therapy was helpful also really challenging to open up about that stuff but but really helpful um finding two or three people who i can be 100% myself with also and it's not easy a lot of people i think a lot of people shut themselves off they say oh i'll never find that or you know they they talk in these absolutes and there were seasons in my life that i believed that but i I'm really fortunate. It took me till my thirties to find a few people who a hundred percent accept. I can be a hundred percent open about suicidal thoughts, about depression. And that has been such a game changer for me as well. And if you're surrounded, if everyone in your life doesn't allow you to be real about your mental health, um, I, I can tell you as someone on the other side, it, it took work to find them, but gosh, it was worth it. I, I choosing who I spend my time with probably is the number one outside of exercise uh, and people who build me up. Nice. Yeah. Community is so essential. I mean, we, we become also like our environment too, you know, if we're surrounding ourselves with people who we can't be real with or who aren't supportive of our journey or are inauthentic themselves, that's just makes it really difficult. So you said that pills or yeah, medications have not really been your cup of tea. Have you heard stories of it working for other people? Tons of people. Yeah. I mean, millions of people. It really, really helps. And I actually just heard they have a blood test now, like pretty recently, like my doctor was like, we can give you a blood test and we can um, determine what kind of mental health meds might be best for you based on your body. So I think there's some huge advancements um, I was very resistant to medication. I cried the first time I took that first pill, having to admit that my brain needed something to feel okay. Um, I've kicked around trying again. I've been off and on different parts. Um, I, similarly, I, I hope it's just a tool, right? This all comes down to developing a big 
a bigger toolbox and what might help and, and medication and science is, is we have really great tool that might help give you a boost that might help you feel better. It's not going to solve everything. Most likely you still, there's other work to do. You still need to put into place the exercise and other things. Um, but it's just a tool. You don't, you don't have to, um, but it does, it helps tons of people uh, and really uh, oftentimes can give them that boost from feeling super, super low to having a bit more energy to having a bit more ability to, to take care of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's not something to be ashamed of either. It's absolutely not. And you also have done a bit of therapy. How has that impacted your mental health journey? And I'm curious if you've tried more than just talk therapy. Like, have you tried other forms of therapy also? Bits, bits here and here. I was just thinking actually this winter, I'm like, gosh, I've been a bit low. I, maybe I need to try again. I need to try something else. Um, talk therapy. I think again, it's a tool. I think it can be really helpful for me. It took a bit to find someone that I actually connected with. Um, I think my best advice was is meet with three, four, five people before you pick someone, make sure it's someone that you really feel comfortable with and make sure it's someone who will also give you some tangible steps. Um, my, my journey was I didn't want to be in therapy every day, every week for the rest of my life. It was like, okay, I, I, I picked a year. I said, I'm going to give this everything I have for a year. I'm going to go every week. I'll talk about whatever they want to talk about. And at the end of that year, I'll take a break because therapy is hard. No one, no one wants to go sit in an office and share about the worst days of their life. Nobody does. And similarly, it's like almost like a bruise in the sense that, yeah, it hurts when you rub it, but like it heals over time when you're brave enough to, to enter into some of that healing and, and, and talk therapy, the, probably the biggest takeaway I had was someone else who can point out things that I would say, or that I would do that aren't healthy, that I just always believed they were coping mechanisms. They were survival mechanisms that I did pushing people away, things like that. You know, even just the way that I, I didn't communicate what I needed. I just let people truly just kind of use me and walk all over me. I was a people pleaser. I was like, well, if I just do everything for everyone else, then they'll show up for me, which wasn't true. Like it just wasn't true. Um, but someone like that, who can just sit in your story with you can help point out the the good things about who you are and and just help you communicate better and, and have a healthier relationship with yourself is just so invaluable it's it's so invaluable um will it solve it instantly probably not um but i as hard as it was and as awful as it was i, I just think everyone could benefit from from that yeah Definitely. Even if, yeah, you haven't had a super traumatic childhood or really feel the need to, I think we could all benefit from it, even if we aren't someone who struggles with depression or anxiety. We, we could all use that reflective tool. I like that therapists just kind of reflect back to us. We don't really have any, I mean, I guess friends can play that role in a way, but they're not like metal, you know, they're not health professionals with a bunch of studying and science to back them up, you know? Okay. I guess one of my last questions is, um, any advice or tips that you would give to people who are allies and friends and loved ones of people who struggle with, uh, 
depression and anxiety and mental health issues? Absolutely. First and foremost, if someone ever opens up to you, just stay calm. You don't have to solve it. You don't have to fix it. Truly one of the best gifts you can give someone who's feeling suicidal is just to listen and to empathize with what they're feeling. You know, try to avoid those quick cliches like, oh, just cheer up. It'll get better. Acknowledge their pain. Acknowledge, gosh, that's so hard. I'm so sorry that you're going through this. I'm not going anywhere. I don't have the answers, but I'm I'm here to support you. Um, finding ways to do tangible things for them. A lot of people with depression, myself included, um, things like if they'll allow you to help with laundry or getting groceries or making an appointment. Sometimes when you're really depressed, those things, just taking a shower can feel like the biggest thing in the world. So just finding ways to drop off food, show those kind of little acts of service can be a huge deal. Also, don't feel like, don't try to be that everything to that one person. You know, this is, it takes a team of people. It takes a village. Um, oftentimes it's too much for one person to try and, and take it all on. So involve other people, involve mental health professionals. Uh, uh, you know, your primary care doctor is a great place to help start. They can also um, do that and just uh, give people more um, space to be who they are. And maybe they can't talk to you for a couple months. You know, I just, I hope our world can be more understanding and more patient with people. When I'm in a really depressive episode, it, it I, I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to see anyone. And it's not because I don't love them. It's because I'm sick. And that level of understanding and patience, I think is, is what it takes. It's not easy as a caregiver. It's so hard. And having been on the other side, it's hard. And you just care for this person. You want to fix it and you can't, and you don't understand what's happening in their brain. You don't understand why they won't get out of bed. And it's okay, but I, I truly hope that you'll just keep showing little kind acts, little kind words, texts, messages, um, just gentle support over time is what is what will at least has what changed the game for me. Gentle support over time. I love that. For the people, okay, so we also talked about um, how sometimes the people who are depressed are the most like the happiest people. So that makes it challenging when you're a friend and you want to help, but you don't know. Sometimes the signs you can tell someone's not doing well, but sometimes you can't. Um, are there any other things to look out for? You would say apart from, you know, the obvious ones when people are really low or depressed. Yeah. Um, so the biggest signs are a disturbance of sleep. So sleeping too much or not sleeping enough disturbance of eating. So eating too much or not eating enough. Those are tricky to see if you're not always around someone. Um, we think it always looks like, you know, super crying in the shower. Like we mentioned, sometimes it comes off as irritability. Those people who have really quick fuses, especially in teens and young adults, sometimes that is their, their depression talking, um, having a death wish. So like doing really risky behaviors, putting themselves into really risky situations, um, can be a sign mm. talking or joking about death a lot. Um, this was something that I did. We had, I had a joke with my high school friends. I used to say, I'm never going to live past 30. And it was just an inside joke that we all kind of just laughed and said out, but you know, it took me later in life to realize I was actually trying to warn them. I was trying to say, 
hey, I don't think I'm going to be around when that happens. And I think there's a level of truth in what someone is joking about. And so just being aware um, of things like that. But yeah, always talking about death or dying, having an obsession with death or dying um, can be a sign. Um, Another one is if they won't open up, you know, if if you get someone into a situation where you ask them, how are you really doing? And everything is surface level and everything is, is a barrier. um, I think that can be a sign too, but it it is, there is no perfect way to answer. Like all of those things can be explained away very easy, which is um, part of the problem. Um, But yeah, just for all of us being more willing to talk about mental health and suicide, bringing it up in conversation just naturally so that if someone is experiencing that they feel more open to share with you um, and then just consistently being willing to listen and empathize with people who need it yeah never underestimate the gift of listening people need it so much these days especially 100 percent. cool um well that's the majority of the questions I have for you. I guess the last thing is where can people find you and what are some of your offerings? Do you want to share any of those? I know you have your book and you just yeah, released so the your book. mental health journal. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sorry. Thank you so much. So the book is Recklessly Alive, uh, available on Amazon in most countries. Uh, you can find me at recklesslyalive.com. I also do a lot of speaking all over the U.S. So if anyone listening wants to um, do a suicide prevention event. I would love to be a part of that. Uh, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, I am at Recklessly Alive, and I share almost daily either videos or images, um, just positive aspects of mental health. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Cool. Yeah, thanks for um, sharing your story with us and, um, yeah, for answering all my questions. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Um, yeah, check him out on at Recklessly Alive, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. Okay, and that's a wrap. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed listening to our conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. I hope you were able to garner some wisdom, tips, tricks, insights, and whatnot from hearing about his experience and if you would like to reach out or find out more about him i will leave the links to his website and social media etc in the show notes and please do subscribe to our podcast if you liked it if you enjoyed listening there will be plenty more conversations to be had so go ahead and subscribe to the Love Makes You podcast wherever you listen to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, what have you. Um, And if you enjoyed it, please also leave a five-star review, rate it, and a comment would be great as well. I would love to hear a feedback from this first episode. Ratings and comments will also help this podcast rise in the rankings so that other people can have access to it and hear it and hopefully it can continue to spread awareness and share people's stories with the rest of the world so thank you guys so much for tuning in i hope you enjoyed everything and i am very excited for next time enjoy the rest of your day much love you all